right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 5, that's where we'll be tonight. Amazing chapter, just love it. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we get into your word tonight, we study, and we've had an interesting week maybe so far, some of us good, some of us not so good. Um, Either way, we're prepared and ready and have made ourselves available and are sitting at your feet now, and we want to hear everything your Spirit has for us. And so as we go through the Beatitudes and we go through several other wonderful things of how to be a Christian, you wrote specifically for us as believers, not for the world. This is for us. We pray that we just absorb it, take it all in, Lord. Encourage us, um, help us, and uh, we, uh, we just pray that we're changed by your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The Beatitudes. This is the beginning of the um, Sermon on the Mount. Um, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. Simply called that because Jesus went on top of a mountain and started, started preaching, started talking. And uh, a multitude came to listen to him, and they sat down at his feet. And, and uh, what I found interesting as I was studying is um, he, doesn't, he doesn't waste any words, you know, very concise doesn't elaborate, leaves room for the Holy Spirit to instruct, um, but also leaves it for us to chew and digest. Um, we're kind of used to a fast food world where prepared and ready and um, even lean kitchen. I'm sure that's a great place to eat, but certainly we could steam some broccoli for ourselves at one point, you know. But we're in such a fast-paced life, you know, so much going on, so it's easier, and it's wonderful. By all means, go there as opposed to Burger King, but um, no offense to Burger King. I love Burger King, too. But be careful these days. I'll get canceled for talking about Burger King. I love their chicken, the original chicken sandwich. It's got to be the original. And you can ask for those cut. All right, back to the... <laughs> Some, I need someone to say, preach, in the back. No. Um, yeah, I, well, I, it's, no, you know what? I got two parking tickets on campus in the last week trying to exercise, trying to exercise out. Oh, well, all right. If you're going to get it for me, bring it to me, but just trying to exercise, just trying to find a place to park out there. Just go walk on the track. Nope. 30 bucks. Okay. It's like, I know. So, but see if I park far enough away, by the time I walk to the track, exercise is over. I just walk back to my car. All right, the Beatitudes. <laughs> I'm in a mood tonight. He leaves room for us to chew. That's the idea, spiritually chew. Feed ourselves, chew. And uh, so let's get at it. Verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, that's the point. He goes up and sees a multitude of people. When God looks at a group of people, he knows that they're hungry, that he knows what they need, and he begins to feed them. A good shepherd can look at a flock and say, they need to be fed, and they need to be fed this, specifically. And Jesus knows that what they need to hear is truth. He looks at the multitude, and he knows what they need to hear. And so when we hear right now what Jesus says to the crowd, to the group, to the multitude, 
we know that that's what they were struggling with, that that's what they needed to hear, that that was exactly what that was going on in their minds at the time. And it's these beatitudes. He begins to tell them who's blessed, who's happy. The word blessed here can be translated happy. The happiest people on earth are those that are poor in spirit. So you can read it like that. If you want to live a blessed life, if you want to have a happy life, true happiness, pure happiness, these are the things you need. So this crowd wasn't happy. This crowd, honestly, when Jesus came, most of the people in Israel had been beat down so hard, not by the Romans, although they were a pain in the neck. They were beat down by their own religious rulers, by the Pharisees and by the Sadducees, and we're going to see that here in this text. So when the true shepherd comes and takes over, grabs the staff of leadership from these Pharisees and Sadducees and begins to teach the people what they need, what's going to feed them, what's going to in- that's what food is for, it's to, for growth, for energy, for, for life, you know? Very proud of our little marking uh, place that we have at our home where we put the ruler up to the kid's head and we mark it, you know? And our kids, I mean, it's just, it's like consistent, two and a half inches, two and a half inches, two and a half inches. And I don't know what it is. I mean, a lot of them wish it was a two and a half inches more. We're kind of a short family, but nevertheless, there's consistency there. And I give Jenny all the credit for that. It gives us a steady healthy, strong diet of food, and they're able to grow and grow and grow and grow. And I'm not saying that if you had less than two and a half inches, you didn't have a good, healthy meal. But I know that Jenny takes the time to pour that love into every meal, knowing that it's for a purpose. It's not just to get something in them to shut them up. It's to help them because you know she knows what their body needs for good, strong, healthy mind, heart, and so on. Jesus does the same thing spiritually as he looks at this group of this multitude out there He sits down and he opens his mouth and he begins to teach them, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are happiest are those who are poor in spirit. That's humility. You know who you are. You have an honest understanding of who you are on the inside. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a spirit of poverty. I I know I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I know I'm less than what God intended to me. I know intended to be. I know that I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's that poor in spirit. The happiest people on earth know that about themselves. Truth is truly, can bring joy. And so Jesus says, if you're poor in spirit, you're the happiest on earth. Here, earth. And here's why. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because the people that go to the kingdom of heaven are those that are poor in spirit. If you understand who you are and you, and you fall short, then your destination is heaven. It's the people that don't understand that. That would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees at the time. Because they looked at everybody else's less. They haven't attained. Oh, poor you. I'm glad I'm not you. Remember the two guys that go up to the temple to pray? And one says, you know, uh, I, I'm glad I'm not like this poor guy over here, this worthless guy, this degenerate. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. And the degenerate says, just beats his breast. He says, I'm a worthless sinner. Ha ha. You're going to be the happiest because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You understand that you need a savior. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning over your sin. 
You mourn for, oh, I can't believe it. I, oh, I can't believe that. I just wish, you know. God can comfort someone who mourns and wants to comfort people that are mourning. He looks for the opportunity. He can't comfort a proud person. He can't comfort someone who doesn't know they've sinned. They won't receive it. Get, get your hand off my back, you know. I don't want that. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31 Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and working in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. That's how the church grows. The body of Christ worldwide grows when the body of Christ, who's ministering or trying to, is mourning over their sin in the sense that they know they need a Savior, they know they need forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit comes and comforts them. God is setting this person up. This person is setting themselves up to be an effective minister for Jesus. But you've got to be poor in spirit first. You have to mourn over your sin. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is power under control. Okay, It's, it's different from humility. You, they're not the same. They, they, you can't interchange those words. A meek person is someone who has authority, but doesn't use it for their sake, uses it as God chooses to use that in their lives. You see, that's meekness. It's under control. Could do this, but I don't. I withhold that power that I have. And that's interesting that it comes right after the comfort of the Holy Spirit comes to those who mourn over their sin, who have been poor in spirit. There's power in that person's life. Because they're going to inherit the earth. A meek person who has power under control can be trusted with authority. They can be trusted to be in charge and over because they're not going to be a dictator or a tyrant. The happiest people on earth, he says, are those who are meek. The happiest people on earth are those who mourn over their sin. The happiest people on earth are those who are poor in spirit. Kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it, of the world? The world tries to give permission for all these things. Permission to be proud of your, yourself and of your spirit and of your, 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 your I think of that, that, that poem, um, Captain of My Own Ship, you know, kind of thing. It's the most depressing poem. You look it up and read the whole thing. It's a, it's a depressing poem because he's miserable on the inside, but he's the captain of his own ship, but he's going to go down with his ship. But he's miserable the entire time. Knowing who you were created to be by God, knowing that you fall short of that from the truth that's been shared with you, causes you to be poor in spirit, to mourn over your sin, and you're not going to be entrusted with leading other people. You can't trust a leader, God says, who hasn't mourned over their sin or isn't poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's a guarantee. Jesus is telling this crowd that's been told they can't, and he's telling them you absolutely can. That fact that you feel so, so lost, so, so less than these Pharisees and Sadducees, it only proves to me that you're the ones that should be in charge, not them. Because the Pharisees are listening to this at the time. You know they're there. You know they're around the crowd. They're always around him. They were around John the Baptist when he was baptizing Jesus, and John calls him out on it. But Jesus says, as long as you're listening, 
Pharisee, Sadducee, leader? Are you poor in spirit? Are you mourning over your sin? Are you meek? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life? Because if you do, you'll be the happiest people on earth and you'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Full of mercy, to be a person full of mercy is someone who understands all those things beforehand that we've just gone over in the Beatitudes so far. You understand how much mercy you've received from God. That's a person who's full of mercy and can give it out. Someone who doesn't give out mercy, obviously, that's a symptom of a heart problem because they don't understand how much mercy they have. Mercy is not giving somebody something they deserve in the sense of a punishment or um, some sort of retribution from you, some sort of vengeance from you, you know. When you give out mercy, when you don't give people what they have earned through their sin or through their attitude towards you or whatever it may be, you're only giving out something that you've received in abundance. So you can't pat yourself on the back for giving out mercy. That defeats the purpose. The source is you understand how much mercy you've been given, and therefore you give out the mercy. You're full of mercy for others. I appreciate that in other people. I think we all do. <laughs> we all make mistakes. We all blow it. And when we receive mercy from somebody, you're like, I really thought you were going to be mad. Oh, no, it happens. Oh, thanks. And you just received that mercy from that person. All of a sudden, you're looking around to look at, you know, that's okay, it happens. That's okay, it happens. That's okay, it happens, you know. We're people. and People are just kind of, we're kind of messy with each other, with the things we do. Our intentions don't go like we thought, you know, I, I, well, I meant it when I said it. I just didn't do it like I said it. No, that's all right. Everybody forgets. Really? I remember this movie one time, and, and I don't. I don't like to bring in movies to things because I don't want to. I'm not recommending it because I don't remember it all of it. It's regarding Henry. It's a CEO, a big guy, a big shot who lost his memory, and and I just remember this one scene where you know he's just he, he almost seems you know, he's just mentally handicapped. It feels like to the family, he just acts like a child now as opposed to this hard-nosed dad that he used to be. And they're sitting at the family table, and they're all kind of watching him eat because he's acting kind of like a child. And his daughter, you know, probably 12, 13 years old, spills her milk. And she looks at him like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, usually dad, the CEO, would be furious at me. And he looks at her, and he takes his milk, and he knocks it over. He goes, that's okay, we all spill our milk. I never forget that scene. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm just looking for my kids to spill their milk, waiting for it so I can not... Eager, you know, eager to give out mercy, eager to give out mercy. I spilled my milk. Sweet. I spill my milk all the time. And that milk could be anything, anything, name it in your life. It just fills you with joy. Even hearing this tonight, you can't tell me that right now your heart isn't kind of ready to explode. Oh, I wish the world was like that. I mean, I wish that when the cop pulls me over and I look at him and I say, I spilled my milk. That's all right. I spill my milk all the time. <laughs> yes. You know, I parked in the wrong spot. That's okay. Here's 30 bucks. You don't have to pay us. We'll pay you. Sweet. No, they don't do that. 
they'll obtain mercy. That means God's looking for it in me. I get it from him, and I receive mercy from him, but this is backwards, isn't it? I want to see you be merciful, Jesus says. Because I'm bursting in my heart to give you mercy. I want to give you mercy. I desire to give you mercy. I'd like to see you give mercy. And we receive it then. Blessed, And he's also talking about from other people too. But I think God's looking for us to do it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Mm. That's something we look for, we want. It's hard not to be pure of heart when you're truly happy. You're poor in spirit, you're mourning over your sin, you understand that it's something to mourn over, you're meek, <laughs> you don't, you're not a tyrant running around, you know, you're hungry for righteousness, and you thirst for it, you desired it in your life, you're giving out mercy because you keep spilling your milk, and that produces in you that pure heart. It, it, it's a purifying thing that takes place. All these things build and they purify you. That's how you learn how not to sin. How do I get holiness in my life? How do I become more like God? How do I walk more worthy of the calling? This, right there. This is it. You become pure of heart. You're going to see God. I mean, everybody wants to see God. Everybody wants to see God at some time. I want to see God and act more and more like, do these things. Be these things. More and more and more in your life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. That is a natural fruit from these things in your life, to become a peacemaker. You can't really do these out of order. These all kind of have to happen at the same time. It all stems from that poor in spirit. It, it, it produces the rest of these things, but that all comes to a believer's life. And when I'm not walking in the spirit, when I'm not walking in that place I'm supposed to be, none of these things take place in my life. But when I am, all of them fall into place and I become a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he's going to describe that a little bit, this being persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's this assumption that, well, if you hadn't done something wrong, you wouldn't be in trouble. So you must have done something wrong. If you're in trouble... You must have done something. And that, that's kind of the idea. So when people persecute you, you must have done it. You, you must have done it wrong. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, Jesus is our example. I don't know that anybody pointed to him on the cross and said, well, you must have done something wrong to deserve this. No, it really didn't. <laughs> they just hate it. And so expect that. The perfect person, God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life full of all of these things. Pure in heart, he was a peacemaker, and he was persecuted for that. So don't be surprised that although you're the happiest person on earth, that you don't have this happen to you. The world doesn't appreciate this. Other believers get it. And you can, you can lead other people that are in the world to Christ if they receive what you have to offer them, that mercy, that, that meekness, if you're in charge. That can cause them to say, why are you like this? You're not like any other person I've met. And you can tell them about that. I want that. You know. But others might persecute you for that. And so, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, 
Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange happened to you, or so some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It isn't pleasant at all, but you can count it all joy when you suffer those persecutions from those that persecuted Christ. You're on the right team. That's how you know you're doing it right. <laughs> if you haven't run into the devil today, maybe you're going his way, they used to say. you know. But if you're getting persecuted for being a nice guy or a nice gal, if you're being persecuted for being any of these things, all right. It's one of the evidence. It's a litmus test for my walk with Jesus. Am I being persecuted? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this would have stuck in the craw of all those Pharisees and the Sadducees. Stephen, when he's ministering, he gets one chance. He's serving tables his whole life. He gets one opportunity to minister. The only documented sermon of Stephen, he gets Stoned to death at the end of it. One of the things he says, and it's in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, towards the end of his sermon, after telling him everything they needed to hear, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to the religious rulers who are above him with rocks in hand. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Which of the prophets didn't you kill? Oh, we love Isaiah. We love Jeremiah. We love Hosea. We've, it's the holy book, they say, at the time Stephen's getting... Yeah, but your dads, your grandpa, grandpas all killed those guys because you hated what they were saying. See, the prophet was never popular the day he was prophesying. He was the bad guy. He was someone who needs to be killed, and they did. We hate that message. Later on, though, they go, oh, Isaiah, wasn't he great? It'd been nice if you hadn't killed him, you know? You always talk about your fathers, how your father Abraham... You know, and, and Jacob and, and Isaac, you all call these uh, founding fathers amazing men and all this. Well, what about these founding fathers that killed Isaiah and all these prophets? So don't think it strange, Jesus says, as he's speaking to this multitude, when you're reviled and persecuted. And evil things are said about you falsely for my sake. Now make sure it's false. You know, Make sure it is not someone just exposing your sin that you really did do. That's just kind of how it is. You got you to own that. It's your bed. You, gotta, you made your bed. You got to lie in it. If it's false, though, well, this is unjust. I can't believe they're saying those things about me. Well, they did that to Jesus. And he's simply telling them, this is going to happen. <laughs> Blessed are you, happy are you when they revile you and persecute you. 
and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. I don't know what that looks like. You know, woohoo, and kicking your heels up. They hate me. I don't, I don't know that anybody does that, but he's like, in your heart, at least know that. At least know that you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ, Peter says at, one, at that scripture I read. You're sharing in that. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. Not here. Not here. I hear it both ways as a pastor from other pastors in their churches. I hear small-time pastors with tiny churches. We'd probably qualify for that, I suppose, maybe. Depends on what you you consider small. We're not mega, obviously, you know, thousands of people. But some would say they're a mega church because they're amazing. I've heard some horrible doctrine come out of mega churches. Then again, some of the smaller churches who are full of pride will say, well, we're small because the world just doesn't want to hear the truth. Oh, could be because you're a creep. Could be because you're a creepy pastor. It's very true. Big doesn't mean great, and small doesn't mean great. You know? Just evaluate. God gives a certain amount of responsibility to different people. Some are in charge of one city. Some are in charge of ten cities. Five cities, he says, in the new. It's a, it's a scripture. We, we, we'll look at that when we, we get there, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to cover all of it, you know. But that doesn't mean anything. It just That's what you can do. That's what you can handle. I never give you more than you can bear. We think of that as sin sometimes, or temptation. He never gives us more temptation we can bear. Well, it's true, but he also never gives us more responsibility than we can handle either. This is it. This is what you can do. That's fine. So big or small makes no difference. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Count that all joy, guys. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, believers, how shall it be seasoned? Can't make it salty again. It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. They'd use salt for two, well, actually three reasons, but even more than that. One is it's a purifier. You know, it kills bacteria. It's a stabilizer. It actually um, sanitizes in a way. It also brings flavor to the food. Like it. I put salt on my food, a lot of it. But after it's done, a lot of times salt can be used then to throw down on, you know, keep the weeds down. You can salt the earth. It's one of the things they would do in war is when they would leave an area, they could salt that earth behind them. Horrible practice. Just ruin it. Dirt's ruined. So I'll, I'll put a salt lick out there for the deer sometimes, you know. I don't think about it sometimes. And I'll set it out there in the middle of the grass. It looks so cute and white. Well, that's a dead spot forever. And if you walk out there, you'll see, oh, he had a salt lick there. Because it the min- it's a long story. But the deer, even after the salt lick's gone, they keep pawing at that dirt and it just gets bigger and bigger. And this cute little salt lick now turns into a five-foot patch of nothing, you know. Anyway, they would do that. And so that's what he's saying. As Christians, we've got to stay salty, flavorful. We ought to be bringing joy. We ought to be the most joyful people on earth, the most gracious, the most merciful, the most loving. We should bring that flavor wherever we go. But we're also a purifier, and we've all experienced that. Oh, I got a joke for you. Never mind, Bob's here. He's a Christian. 
Well, great. The joke wasn't told. And Bob feels stupid because he can't, you know, he ruined the joke. But that's all right. Bob did his job. He's salt, you know, or Susie, whoever it may be. Be salt. Jesus is encouraging them. You guys are the salt of the earth. You need to be salt. Don't lose your flavor. You're also the light of the world, he says. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Be Christian, you know. I thought we were supposed to hide and not let anybody know what we've done. Read it carefully. Do your good works so that everybody can see them, but do it in such a way that when they see you do it, they give glory to God, not you. You can do it. There's a, there's a way to do that. You just got to figure out how to do that, because if you do it with poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness, hungering for righteousness, merciful, pure of heart, peacemaker, you, you do your good works in that, in that attitude of heart, and you know that about yourself, you're going to be a great light for this world. The world's full of darkness. Don't hide your light. We sing that song, have sung that song. I sang that song when I was a kid. Hide it under a bushel. No. Don't let Satan blow it out. You know. That's what Jesus is saying. Let your light shine on top of a hill. Let it be seen. Don't hide yourself. I know we all have different callings in the Christendom, Christian, the body of Christ. Everybody has a big toe, your nose, you're an ear, you're an eye, you're a mouth, you're the little finger, you're the thumb, whatever it may be. All have different jobs, different responsibilities, and no one can say anybody else's job is or ministry is more or less important. Not supposed to do that at all. It's a, that's a big no-no, according to Christ. When he looks at his body, he says, what are you complaining about being a big toe? And you eyeballs out there, quit making the big toes feel bad. You'd be on your face if they weren't balancing you up there. You know, There's a purpose for all of our ministries. That being the case, God has called us to be light to this world and salt to this earth. I'm not so sure we're supposed to be hiding away. I don't think we ever see that in Scripture. And I want you to go hide away in a corner, and I don't want anybody to ever see you again. I don't want you to just keep it to yourself. That's not a calling. We had a couple prophets that tried to do that. You know, you think of Ezekiel? Who was it? Yeah, thank you. Elijah, the other E. Elijah, you know, does a spectacular event on top of Mount Carmel with the calling down of fire on his sacrifice and the the prophets of Baal, all 400 of them cutting themselves, and they totally lost the whole deal, and they all got wiped out, and he's standing there by himself, and all of a sudden Jezebel says, I'm going to kill that guy. He goes and runs and hides in a cave, and God calls him on that. Get out of that cave. Well, I don't know why you're not destroying everybody. I'm the only one left. Oh, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I've got them reserved. You know, Get out of the cave. God calls us to be salt on this earth. He calls us to be light. He wants us to bring people to him. He wants people to be able to see where they are. Some people don't want you around them. They don't want to know where they are. They don't want to know where they're what their sin is. They don't want it exposed. They love the darkness. And that's what all John chapter one's all about. Jesus was the light that came into the world and light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it, didn't want it. 
lest their deeds be exposed. I don't want that. Can't help it. I'm light. It's what I do. It's what we do. Verse 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, those are punctuation marks within the text, not even a comma will be, will by no means pass away from the law until it is all fulfilled, until all is fulfilled. We need to understand this section of Scripture. When Jesus says that, he's not saying, I, and, and they try to blend it then and say, okay, so the law and grace, we need, we need to be doing both. You know, we need to be fulfilling all the law, and we need, no, 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 no. That's not what he said. When we don't talk about uh, keeping the Ten Commandments and, and all the law and keeping the feasts and keeping the sacrifices and keeping all these things, because Jesus specifically says here, I'm not getting rid of those things. I'm fulfilling them. I'm doing with my life and my ministry here on earth what you could never do. Those are all vital and all by God's will and all perfect. And there's nothing wrong with any of the law. You just can't do it. You can't fulfill it. You can't do it well enough to get yourself into heaven. I'm here to fulfill that. So all of this is still good. I'm fulfilling it. And not one of these things is going away until it's completely fulfilled. But by who? By him. See, when I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I receive the fulfillment of all those things I couldn't do. That's the beauty of it. That's the good news. The law was written. We were breaking the law way before the law was brought down from the mountain. That was the whole point. This is very ironic. Moses is up here getting the Ten Commandments. He's so proud. He comes down with his Ten Commandments. He's, oh, you're breaking them all. And he smashes them. They were doing it already. The law was simply written to show them that they were wrong. You're in error. You're making a mistake. You're sinning against God. This is the standard of God, and you fall short of the standard. That's what the law was written for. We were breaking it long before. Abraham was breaking it long before the law was even created or written down. Jesus said, all of that's good. It's all serving its purpose. I'm here fulfilling it. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of the... Look at this. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. This is a direct staring right at the Pharisees right now. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Pharisee, Sadducees, I don't care if you know the word of God. I care if you keep the word of God. If you're not keeping the word of God, but telling everybody to keep the word of God, you're as lost as everybody else in the world. But if you do, that was the only difference between those two statements. Both are teaching the word of God. One is doing and one isn't. That's the difference in those two statements. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It's about, the being, it's about being a doer of the word, not just a, a, a teacher of it. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven again just a, a slam against them. These guys knew they were the best. They knew they were the most holy. They were the most perfect on earth. So if any of us are going to heaven, 
It's the ones with the robes that are going. I don't know about the rest of you, they would teach, but we're going. We know that because we're obviously none of you are better than us. Somebody's got to occupy heaven. It's got to be us. And he just told them, nope. Because unless anybody's better than you, you're all going to hell, which puts them in the category with everybody else. Everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. The most self-righteous person, the most whoever you think in your mind is the most holy. I don't care if it's Mother Teresa. I don't care if it's the Pope. That seems to be what the world always uses as standards. Well, you're no Mother Teresa. Well, she was going to hell without Jesus if you didn't know that. She didn't get there on her own. She needed Christ to die on the cross for her sins like everybody else. Now, she's a beautiful woman. She did a lot of great things. I don't know what her motives were. That's between her and God. All I'm saying is, and what he's saying is, Jesus is saying is, everybody falls short of the glory of God. Everybody needs Jesus, including Mary, by the way, needed her son to die on the cross for her sins as well. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. He put everybody, and that just irked them. That's what they hated about that Pharisee and Sadducee thing. I, but we're better. You're not. You're not. Because unless you exceed, unless you do better. and So then the question was, if they're not going to heaven, who is? He says, perfect. That's exactly where I want you. Because if they can't get to heaven, and they're the most holy people I know, who can get to heaven? Nobody can get to heaven without Christ. Nobody it's not that you're better than Hitler. It's that you're equal to him. You did, you're going to hell just like he is. It's the same spot. There's no degrees. There's no levels. You know, Hot, hot, and hot. Satan's not in charge of hell. That's a misnomer. He's not in charge. He's burning there also, or will be. Jesus evens out. This is all supposed to bring them to this understanding that I need a Savior. Exactly. Now he elaborates on the law. Ooh, five minutes? Really? You have heard that it was said to uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. He's getting to the heart of the matter. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown in prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So that tells us what the, the beef was about. If you're walking with somebody, they say, you owe me money. You better agree with them quickly if you do. Don't be trying to lie. Don't be trying to get out of it. Agree with them. Get it right. Don't try to get out of your obligations, your responsibilities, your, you know, filing chapter 11. Really? That's your, that's your godly solution? Well, I'm, you know, I can't pay my debt, so I'm just going to file chapter 11. No, you need to lose everything. Then. You know, it's your responsibility to pay your debt kind of thing. Anyway, Jesus is showing them something. Actions can be modified. I cannot kill somebody today. Good for me. 
even though I wished a lot of them were dead today in my heart. And Jesus says, no, I'm looking at your heart. The fact that you thought, saw that, I saw that, God says. You're as guilty as you would have been if you'd followed through on the, on the, on the murder. You murdered them in your heart. That's not good. I don't like that. I don't want that. I want to change you. Whatever I do, whatever you see me do, whatever the world can see JD doing, that's because it started in my heart that way. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm looking at the heart, and that's what I want to change. There are behavioral programs out there that can teach me to not go to that or do that or change that about myself. I can, I can stop my behavior. That doesn't mean my heart's any different. Jesus says, I want to come in and change your heart. And then your actions will follow. But I want to change your heart. I want to get to the root of the issue. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I want to change that heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 18.31, cast away from you all the transgressions with you have, which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die, O house of Israel? I just love the way he words that. Ezekiel's like, go out there and get yourself a new heart. You know, Get yourself a new spirit. I can trade these in. You can. You can. Even tonight you can. You can change that broken heart. You can trade it in. You can let Christ give you that new heart. You can let him give you that new mind. You just got to let him. Give it to him and let him give you that new heart. That's what being born again is. That's what John chapter 3 verse 16 is. We love that verse. To change you, to give you a new heart. I want, to give you, I want you to be born again. You have heard that it was said, verse 27, those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's done. Just a look alone. I'm just window shopping. It's the same. It's the same. As far as God's concerned, that's, that's your guilty of adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Tragic story. Another pastor that I know, a Calvary Chapel from California, didn't elaborate enough on this text. One of the young men in his congregation went home and did exactly that because he just couldn't stop that certain sin in his life, so he thought it better, took it literally. And, of course, had to minister to the family and talk to him about that, and, of course, it's done. It was no salvaging the hand. Please understand what this means. The concern here for the Pharisee and the Sadducee was the appearance he says, no, 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 no. You need, to, you need to get a new heart. You need to stop this, and you can't. Here, for example, if you cut off your hand, did that stop the adulterous thought going on in your mind? Well, no. 
no, I can't act anymore. But the thought's still there. So I'm still guilty of the same sin. That didn't do anything. It didn't change that kid's sin nature, his sin problem. The hand's gone, okay? But that doesn't mean that he's still not sinning in his heart. That's what Jesus is, is talking about here. He's making it very graphic for them. It's that desperate of a situation. It's that important. What you think is so important in your life, what you seem to cling to, what you seem to can't cut off from your life, you can't let it go. It actually bring you to hell. Let it go. Cut that off. Remove it. It's better than the whole body going. Verse 31, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what was taught. Ah, you're good. Just write her a piece of paper. And that's how it was for women. Horrible existence for them. They were there until their husband wasn't happy with them anymore. If their husband wasn't happy with them, they could write them a certificate of divorce. You burned my dinner. Bye. And with that, he could keep then the dowry. It's not my fault. She burnt the dinner. I didn't break the contract. She broke the contract. Horrible practice. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a woman who... Marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, why does he say that? Because these Pharisees and Sadducees were doing that all day long. Who knows how many women they'd run through? And these women are all out there. He's saying, You're responsible for it. Cooked your dinner wrong and you gave her a writ of divorce. You're committing adultery. You caused her to commit adultery, and everybody that married her got committed adultery. It's on you. Just it's the writing in the dust that Jesus was doing. It's the same exact thing. When the woman caught in adultery is sitting there, and they're all ready to stone her, and he says, you know, he's without sin, cast the first stone. And they're all like, they're all winding up. He starts writing in the dirt, and they all start dropping their rocks. Hmm. You know, hmm, that's me. The whole point of that story is the guy wasn't with her. If she's caught in adultery, where's he? It's because it's just this. A horrible situation for women. Unbiblical. Jesus is the great liberator. He's a great equalizer. He says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You don't get to just write a certificate of divorce and relieve yourself of all responsibility and keep the dowry and blame her. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You, 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 buddy. You own this. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven or for, his, for its God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. They, they took pride in that. Oh, I swear by the golden foot of the chair of... Jeez. Oh, how about you just keep your word? I get worried about that. You know when, you know when someone says they're going to do something, they say, I swear to God I'm going to do it. That didn't help. I don't feel any more comfortable because you said that to me at all. You know, I swear my mother's grave. Ooh, now I really don't trust you. You know, I don't even know if you liked your mom kind of thing. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't do that. Just let your yes be yes, your no be no. Be that kind of person where, uh, well, if he said yes, it's a done deal. You can, you can put that in the bank. 
That's what he'd rather have. He says, oh, anything else is from the evil one. Hmm. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It does say that. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give him your cloak also. When you know, want your shirt, give him your jacket, kind of thing. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go two. Funny thing with the Romans, the Roman soldier, uh, it was a law that if they were walking in a certain direction, they saw somebody say, carry my pack, you're required by law to carry that pack for them for one mile. Ooh, that would irk those guys. I mean, you could be going the other direction. The Roman could grab some Jew off the street and say, carry my pack. You got to follow this guy the other way for a mile. Jesus is saying, why don't you take it too? That's different. You remember why an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was written? We've taught this several times. You best know what that means. That was a restriction. If they knock your tooth out, you only get to knock out one of their teeth. You can't keep pounding them. I keep getting these hockey videos. My daughter dates a hockey player. So I got all these hockey player videos coming my way. This one guy fell and the hockey puck was going by. So he took his stick and hit the hockey puck. And it accidentally, it really was, it tripped up the guy. Guy took his stick and just started pounding on him right there. That's what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is about. No, 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 no. You tripped gently even. You got a bunch of pads on. What are you crying about, you know? You can't get up and start wailing on somebody. So Jesus is taking them back to that. See, they were teaching at this time, these Pharisees and the Sadducees, that if an eye gets taken out, another eye has to be taken out. That's not the law. That's not what it says. You could give mercy. You could give forgiveness. Joseph's the perfect example of that with Mary. She's pregnant. I could accuse her. I could have her stoned to death. He says, oh, no, I'm going to put her away secretly. I'm not going to do that. Everybody had that option. When it's a personal violation between one and another person, you had the option as the victim to go ahead and not make the accusation or exact your pound of flesh back from that person. So Jesus is teaching that. You think you have to do an eye? No, I'm saying you can resist that. You can give them your other cheek. It, you're, you're, not, you're not weak when you don't get that tooth or when you don't pluck that eye. You're not. It's okay. It's a profound misunderstanding of this. really need to get that in our hearts. Now, I'm sorry. It's just gonna ha- we just have to go long. I'm sorry. Nothing we can do about it. We've got to finish it, but we've got to finish it right. When it's not a personal thing one-on-one, when it's a person against society, society decides. That's a pet peeve of mine, this death penalty thing. When people are trying to get rid of, abolish the death penalty. No, no, no. We have to make sure that we don't supersede the rights of the victim. It's very clear. If there's an eye, I have the right and privilege of removing that eye. That is something that can be done. The society doesn't get to come in and step in and say, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to have that anymore. No, 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 that's between the victim has that right. When you have a murder victim, society doesn't get to step in and say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. No, that's that person's right. We can't step in and take that from them. Now, if it's one-on-one, 
fine. I can, I can not press charges if I feel like it. That's, that's my responsibility. I can, I can not do that if I want to. And so I just want to be clear on that. Um, anyway, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They were teaching that. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Make sure you hate your enemy. <laughs> How do you teach them that? Anyway, that's what they taught. It's nowhere in the Bible, but it says that. That's what they used to teach. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. In other words, you're going to take after dad if you're giving out mercy to those who hate you, to your enemies, because he does. This is a non-negotiable. In other words, Christ died on the cross while we were still sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. While we were yet sinners, he did that for us. While we were his enemies, he did that for us. If I choose to disregard this section of Scripture, then I choose to disregard what Christ has done for me. I diminish it, in other words. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, because that's what God does for us. It's not like he's asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. Carry your cross. He carried his. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. That's funny because Matthew's a tax collector. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that's where we close. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thanks for letting us get through that tonight. And I pray that you help us to chew on this some more. So much is packed into this. We, we could have gone a few verses each night, but we, we know we want to get through your, we want to see the forest. We don't want to just see the trees. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you help us, and by your Holy Spirit, bring these things to our remembrance. And, and we know that every time we study something, you're going to give us an opportunity this week to do it, to flesh it out, to actually practice it. And so, God, I pray that you help us to be ready for that, walking in the Spirit, prayed up, so that when we see that opportunity for mercy, when we see that opportunity to not be prideful, but to be humble, lowly. Lord, help us to do it, to prepare our hearts ahead of time. And I pray that we have wonderful fellowship with you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for staying late. I about 15 minutes over, but good job. If you need prayer, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.